Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Brian Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring workday. I just met this girl named Buffy. I'm Pike. Pike isn't a name, it's a fish. I liked her even though she seemed kind of flaky. But as it turns out... You have been chosen, Buffy. To do what? To stop the vampires. Does Elvis talk to you? And things started getting weird around here. Are we having a nightmare? You threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. She was the one person I could really count on. Kill him a lot. Hi. Hi. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? I'm saving your butt. That is a bad guy. Can we go, please? The Slayer is unmasked. Let's finish it. I think this relationship has potential. Hi. How's it going? You're obviously having a bad hair day. If she can just get rid of those other guys in her life. Stab him in the heart! Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Ah! Ah! Paul Rubens. Ah! With Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Ah! Yes, I am. Buffy, the vampire slayer. I didn't even break a nail. Directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to talk about the movie version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, the studio was 20th Century Fox. The release date was July 31st, 1992. The running time was 86 minutes. The rating was PG-13. The budget was $7 million. Now, the box office was $16.6 million, so it did make back its money and a little bit more. It was the 74th rank movie in 1992. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 34% rotten from 41 reviews. The critics' consensus is Buffy the Vampire Slayer's supernatural coming-of-age tale is let down by poor directing and even poorer plotting, though Christy Swanson and Paul Rubin's game performances still managed to slay. Roger Ebert didn't bother to give a review for this one, so instead we have A very good reviewer who used to write for the New York Times, her name is Janet Maslin, and her headline is, She's Hunting Vampires and on a School Night. Those who look for political importance in Prime Queen movies may be interested to note that Buffy, Christy Swanson, the cheerleading, bubble-headed heroine of the blithe teenage comedy Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer, kicks and backflips her way to martial arts mastery before the story is over. As for other things worth noticing, you may be too old to appreciate one of the film's main selling points if you're distracted by the efforts to enhance Luke Perry's hair. Luckily, there are better reasons for watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a slight, good-humored film that's a lot more painless than might have been expected. Miss Swanson's funny, deadpan delivery holds the story together reasonably well, as does the -the state-of-the-art vowel-speak that constitutes most of Buffy's dialogue. The screenplay, uneven but bright, is by Joss Whedon. Excuse me for not knowing about El Salvador, like I'm ever going to Spain anyway, sniffs Buffy at the mall. I can't believe I'm in a graveyard hunting for vampires with a strange man, she whines later, on a school night. Buffy, we learn, has a special gift for killing vampires when she lived an earlier life in Europe during the Dark Ages. 
A title gives the film's main setting as Southern California, The Light Ages. Nowadays, her ambitions are more modest. All I want to do is graduate high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slater, and die, she says at one point. About career goals, she says, I'm going to be a buyer. I don't know. It's just a job I heard of. Sounded pretty cool. The very thin plot describes what happens after Donald Sutherland as a kind of cosmic coach, makes Buffy understand her mission and trains her to do battle with a latter-day vampire squad. These spooks are led by Rucker Hauer, who indeed looks ghoulish, and Paul Pee Wee Herman, Rubens, who seems to be greatly enjoying the malevolent possibilities of his role. Kill him. A lot, he hisses about a potential victim. I'm fine, says Buffy after he greets her nastily, but you're obviously having a bad hair day. The film, directed breezily by Fran Rubel Kuzai, slows down to make room for some mugging from Mr. Perry, who plays potential vampire bait and is better at being studiously cute than really acting. He also loses speed during Buffy's transformation into a pom-pom-waving woman warrior. Her conversion may be commendable, but it's a shame to see her drop the princessy mannerisms that made her early scenes so amusing, especially when they are seconded by giddy Greek chorus of Valley Girlfriends, Michelle Abrams, Hilary Swank, and the funny, voluptuous Paris Vaughn. The Earth's in terrible shape. We could all die, one of them wails when discussing whether an ecological theme might be right for the senior dance. Besides, Sting's doing it. When Buffy chimes in about the ozone layer during the discussion, it is only to announce, yeah, we've got to get rid of that. Just as the higher energy Wayne's World did, Buffy the Vampire Slayer aims for a teenage audience but occasionally offers a broad wink at what it sees. The film also includes a few minor characters worth mentioning, like the psycho-babbling coach, Mark DiCarlo, who tells his basketball players to think, I am a person, I have the right to the ball. Candy Clark appears too briefly as the jewelry-jangling mother who cries out, kiss noise, as she bids Buffy goodbye. And that's the end of Janet Maslin's review. She doesn't give a rating, but it's a pretty positive review of a film that is often panned, especially com when compared to the very popular TV series of the same name, which came out four years after the film, which starred Sarah Michelle Gellar. So my first memories of this film have entirely to do with my sister loving the film and eventually the show and her purchasing the soundtrack on cassette. And so what I remember is what I thought sounded like Ozzy Osbourne blasting for her room. But it was a song I had never heard. More on this later. Eventually I saw the film after one of the many times it was rented by my sister and it was fun. Nothing to take seriously and you know, and easy to have on without really getting deep into the plot. And and this was a cheap DVD purchase for me. It was less than five bucks, which is why it's in my collection. Basically, this is the loose criteria to make it into the coveted Brian Davis DVD collection. It has to be worthy of repeat viewing, and, and being super cheap doesn't hurt either. And if you didn't know already, the reason we're covering all these movies, you might be like, these are so random. Well, yeah, my DVD collection is random. That is what this podcast is at is at, at this point. Because I pick a random movie from my DVD collection, and then I talk about it. About why I own it, and why I guess you should watch it. <laughs> Alright, let's get into the main cast. Of course, we have Buffy, who was played by Christy Swanson. And at this point in her career, I think she was pretty much known for two very minor roles, but memorable roles. The first being in Pretty in Pink, in which she plays a very pretty blonde girl who makes eyes at Ducky after Molly Ringwald decides to pick Blaine for the prom. Personally, I would have gone with Christy Swanson as well, so I think Ducky actually made out better. 
The other famous scene Swanson appeared in was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, in which she gives a rapid-fire tale to the teacher, played by Ben Stein, Mr. Monotone, about how Ferris passed out at Baskin-Robbins the night before. Adams? Here. Adam Lee? Here. Adamowski? Adamson? Here. Adler? Here. Anderson? Anderson? Here. Bueller? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. Fry. She still appears in movies and TV today, but I think Buffy would be her most memorable movie role. Then we have Donald Sutherland playing Merrick, and, and Sutherland was already well-known and a respected actor at this point in his career, and it almost makes you think he did this one for the paycheck. I mean, a quick rundown of some of his great films include The Dirty Dozen, uh, the original movie version of MASH, Kelly's Hero, Clute with Jane Fonda, The Great Train Robbery with Sean Connery, Animal House, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Ordinary People, and backdraft. I mean, Sutherland's resume definitely helps the movie, even if it's not going to win any distinguished awards. We got Paul Rubens, who plays Amelin. And of course, if you didn't know him, how could you not know? But Paul Rubens is most famous for being Pee Wee Herman. However, right around the time of making this film, he was infamously caught jerking off in an adult movie theater in Florida. Ah, days before the internet, you actually had to go to the theater. <laughs> in any case... It almost makes sense that he would transition away from the Pee-wee character and into different roles. And arguably, he's the best part of this movie. He's got the best lines. He delivers them perfectly. And so, fun trivia about Paul Rubens, uh, one of his early films. He is the waiter at the fancy restaurant that Jake and Elle would dine at in The Blues Brothers. He's given the boys a list of wines. Give us a bottle of your finest champagne, five shrimp cocktails, and some bread for my brother. We have a Dom Perignon, 71 at $120. That'll be fine, pal. All right, Rucker Howard plays Lothos, and Howard had been acting since the late 60s on Dutch television, and his American film debut came in 1981 for the Sylvester Stallone action thriller Nighthawks. His real breakout came the next year in Blade Runner, where he plays Roy Batty. He would continue to appear in movies throughout the 80s, and uh, he was up to play the main character in Robocop before him being passed over by Peter Weller. So Luke Perry plays Pike, and at this point, Beverly Hills 90210 was all the rage, as was Luke Perry's bad boy character Dylan McKay. And I'm sure the producers realized this when casting Perry, as the you know the 90210 demographic would have been ideal for this film. The filming of the movie was limited to only five weeks for Perry to be able to shoot around 90210. And ironically, 90210 and Buffy are the the two things that Perry will be remembered for. And though, unfortunately, you know, when I was putting this all together, um, this was before he had a stroke and then later passed away, but he was he's currently, or was currently, on the TV show Riverdale, which has been doing really well. 
Later in this episode, I actually interviewed my other brother, Brian, who's back on the podcast to talk about this film. And, and it was the same day, crazy enough, that Luke Perry suffered a stroke and only a few days later he passed away. So keep that in mind when you're listening to our interview, because at the time we didn't know what was going to happen with him. And sadly, he didn't make it. But he is in this film and he's, he's a nice part of this film. All right, the director is Fran Rubel Kuzu. I, I have a tough time pronouncing her last name, but Kazai, I think it's Kazai. Uh, and she was pretty much an unknown director prior to Buffy, and she directed one film called Tokyo Pop, which was released in 1988, and Buffy would actually be her last directing credit, uh, but she would go on to be credited as an executive producer for the TV adaptation and its spinoff series Angel. The screenwriter was Joss Whedon, and he's obviously the most famous person to come out of this production um, and he would go on to achieve the most success after this movie was released. He would be part of the TV series, co-write Toy Story, and go on to direct the first Avengers movie along with Age of All Time. He also cre- helped create the show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Joss Whedon wanted the film to be darker than what was actually released, and obviously his original vision was correct because the TV series was incredibly popular and more popular than the movie. I will say about this movie, even though it didn't do, it didn't light the world on fire, it's definitely not as good as the TV show. It did actually have kind of a cult following, and I think teenage girls especially kind of liked the film, but I think if it had been darker, I'm not sure if it would have done better at the box office in 1992. I think coming out in the mid to late 90s, it was, it was the right time for it, and so everything just kind of happens for a reason, and in this case, it might have been better that the film wasn't a, a smash hit because it may have taken away from the actual TV show. By day, this girl's an average high school cheerleader. Buffy the what? Sl- vampire what? The vampire slayer. What's your name? Buffy. Buffy. By night, she's... Buffy. Buffy the what? The Vampire Slayer. Look, what are you doing? Well, it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I couldn't bring myself to say I was making a film called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I think it's perfect. Action! Buffy, played by actress Christy Swanson, discovers she is the latest in a long line of girls chosen by fate to slay vampires. Buffy is a mall doll. She has no concept of anybody else but herself. Wouldn't you guys just love me in this? She has no concept of of, uh, any sort of a value system. Does the word duh mean anything to you? And then she... she goes through change. Let me get this straight, okay? You want me to go to the graveyard with you because I'm the chosen one and there are vampires? Yes. Does Elvis talk to you? I mean, here the world is under attack by legions of the undead. You're going to a mixer. It's not a mixer. Actor Luke Perry makes his major motion picture debut, starring as the rebel Pike. I play Pike, and Pike is the damsel in distress in the movie. Hi. Hi. So we we did we did the big role reversal thing and, and Swanson's the hero. It's a very weird bunch of people to have together. This is the famous I'm late to the dance sequence. Are they ready? I'm ready. 
And it couldn't get any better than that. You know, uh, Buffy, you're not like other girls. I don't like thinking of Buffy as a vampire movie, but vampirism is the context of this comedy. We wanted to make our own rules for the vampires. Do they fly? Do they walk? Do they have fangs? Do they not have fangs? Where did they come from? Actor Paul Rubin sinks his teeth into the role of Amelyn. It was interesting working with Paul because he had spent a long time working on another character and uh, we wanted to get as far away from that character as possible. Admit it, Buffy. Aren't there times when you just feel less than fresh? Paul just gets you laughing. I mean, just the court jester with teeth. You ruined my new jacket. Kill him a lot. He's crazy, scary, and he's got some ugly hair in this thing. Hi. How's it going? I'm fine. But you're obviously having a bad hair day. It's a comedy. Ah! 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 It's a love story. It's scary. So sure. I didn't even break a nail. Alright, so let's get into the actual movie. We start in the medieval era to find out the silly origin of how a vampire slayer is created, and it kind of reminds me of Mannequin with Kim Cattrall when she's in ancient Egypt and becomes a mummy and later appears alive in modern day uh, the modern day world as a mannequin. Now, everyone had a major crush on Christy Swanson, and I did it even as far back as seeing her in Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller, and I always, again, thought Ducky was better off ending up with her than Molly Ringwald. Sorry, Molly. And then we fast forward to the incredibly bad dancing from Christy Swanson, who is supposed to be playing a supposed high school cheerleader. Whoa. <laughs> then again, I'm probably expecting too much, but I'm pretty sure my high school cheerleaders were just as bad at dancing. Whoa, they're seriously off time in this, and you get CNC Music Factory playing. Welcome to the early 90s, folks. Makes you sweat. This reminds me of playing basketball my freshman and sophomore years of high school and always being annoyed that the cheerleaders were always near the sidelines and basically being distracting and, and not very helpful. And I'm pretty sure we would have uh, we were throwing wide passes on purpose <laughs> during warm-ups for obvious reasons. One of the cool things, you get to see Hilary Swank as a teenager in the crowd at the game. We soon find out that she's part of Buffy's inner circle of friends. And who would guess that from this, she would go on to be an Oscar winner. This was also her very first movie. She was also in the fourth version of The Karate Kid. Oh, yeah. Both her and Joss Whedon would be the most successful after this film. Again, this film is very Valley Girl, very 90s style, and, and probably a precursor to Clueless, so it's probably more influential than you think. There's a funny line by one of the girls saying that the movie theater doesn't even have Dolby. <laughs> who would have guessed? Christy Swanson, who was 22 at the time, and, and actors and actresses playing much younger roles has been occurring since the beginning of film, so this isn't, I mean, she doesn't look you know extremely uh, older than a high school student, but she is definitely older at the time. David Arquette and Luke Perry's are buddies, and they're at the movie theater as well. And even though Perry was super popular due to 90210, Arquette would actually have more fame than Luke Perry down the road. So a car pulls up with a bunch of jocks, and, and one of the guys is Sasa Jensen, who was in Dazed and Confused. He played Don. 
And then there's a great song from a band that you might not know called The War Babies, and the song's In the Wind. The War Babies released one album in 1991, and it was just the wrong time for bands that were kind of in the hard rock genre but weren't fully in the grunge movement. And though the band itself hailed from Seattle, ironically, it just didn't take off. And and the album, I think it was released in 1990. It was supposed to be released in 1990. It was pushed back, and so this likely hurt the chances for the band hitting it big. Now, for all the KISS geeks out there, oh my god, KISS, two of the songs on their album uh, were co-written by Paul Stanley, one of them being Hang Me Up, and it's terrific. It's a terrific blend of hard rock and uh, borderline grunge, and that being said, uh, Brad Sinsel, who was the band's front man, wasn't too impressed with Paul Stanley, saying he was rude and disrespectful and totally full of himself. Which doesn't sound too far-fetched, considering many of the stories about other bands working with Paul Stanley. Anyway, I don't. I, I think the self-titled War Baby album is terrific, and, and if you missed it the first time, definitely check it out. It's too bad that the song in the film wasn't featured on the soundtrack. So Sasa Jensen ends up being the first guy attacked by a vampire in the amusement park by Paul Rubens, and it's one of the best parts of the movie <laughs> is, is Paul Rubens and Donald, Donald Sutherland being second. So Buffy's mom is Candy Clark from American Graffiti, and she's actually Debbie in that movie, who is the blonde that hangs around Toad, who is Charles Martin Smith. And uh, the entire film, uh, Charles Martin Smith is trying to score booze that whole time. Anyway, in that film, she was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, but she's barely in this movie. I think they could have used her talents a lot more. This is where we get into a few actors that only have small roles but are pretty well known for other things, like the vice principal or the counselor. It's Stephen Root, who, of course, is Milton from Office Space. Then you also see Ricky Lake as a waitress, who in, uh, her name's Charlotte, in the place that looks like a bar, but it isn't. The bar scene is actually pretty embarrassing. Me. <laughs> it makes me wonder why I own this movie. It's, it's cringe, cringe-worthy. It's bad. We're at the point now where sometimes I own things, certain you know, certain movies, just for pure childhood nostalgia. And, and man, the dialogue in this in this scene is really bad. It's really stupid, you know. But they can't all be the Godfather, right, folks? All right, all right. So David Arquette eventually is bitten by Paul Rubens, and actually, I don't remember male vampires biting other males in most vampire movies at that at this point. So I guess it's fairly progressive. Uh, Donald Sutherland uh, must have received a huge payday to be in this. Uh, you know, So Merrick tells Buffy she must go to the graveyard. And yes, Buffy goes to the graveyard with a creepy old man. I, you know, I gotta love movies. <laughs> so she goes to the graveyard, and they wait for a guy to rise from his grave. They make small talk, which is nice, because in today's reality, she would be staring at her phone. It's also a quick... It's amazing how quick a valley girl can turn into a vampire slayer. It's complete movie magic. And then a kickboxing queen. All in ten minutes. Yes, this is what Buffy the Vampire Slayer is like. There's a, t- t- a terrible cover of the, the Clash's classic, I Fought the Law, p- played by a man called Mary's Danish, which is equally as bad of a name. <laughs> anyway, this is playing when, in Luke Perry's bedroom when David Arquette rises from the dead. I mean, they could have put the War Babies on the soundtrack instead. So, yeah. I've never understood the invite your the vampire into your house rule. I mean, the garlic on the cross isn't much better, but inviting, that that's just dumb. However, it does make for a funny line later in the film during the dance. As Janet Maslin wrote in her review, at this point, before becoming a full vampire slayer, all Buffy wants to do is graduate, go to Europe, and marry Christian Slater, and then die. Gotta love the early 90s. And so who would who would Buffy want to marry today? 
uh, it was it would probably be a bot on Tinder. I, I mean, there's no need to travel, you know, with virtual reality. Actually, Joss Whedon's original script had her saying she wanted to marry Charlie Sheen. And this is funny for a few reasons. One, Swan, uh, Swanson actually went on to co-star in a 1994 film with Sheen called The Chase. And also, knowing what a mess Charlie Sheen turned out to be, it would have made that scene actually hilarious in today's viewing. We then get the Divinal song, I Ain't Gonna Eat My Heart Out Anymore, which is playing during her kickboxing workout. I think I, uh, if they played I Touch Myself, that would have been an interesting pick. <laughs> but they didn't. And anyway, this other song is playing during the credits. Funny story. The funny story was Stephen Root talking about LSD at a Doobie Brothers concert. Let's see if I can find that clip. Then we get the cult playing Zap City, which is playing while Paul Rubens uh, hangs on the windshield of Luke Perry's van. Interesting story about this song. Originally, the cult recorded an album called Peace, which was supposed to be their third album after the, their second album, Love. However, the band didn't like the sound of the album and scrapped it. And many of the songs did appear on what would become the Electric album, which was produced by Rick Rubin. Zap City was a song that would have appeared on Peace, but it wasn't re-recorded for Electric. And if you know the dry sound of Electric, you can definitely hear the difference on this song being Zap City. But I like it, though. I think it would have been a good inclusion on the album. And you can hear it, I think, on Rare Cult. There's a uh, release with all their B-sides. Paul Rubens has some great lines like, You ruined my jacket. Kill him. A lot. Uh, and then you have the other side where the dialogue isn't great. Like, uh, how funky is your chicken cheer? And, whoa, man, cheerleaders are bad in this. <laughs> Ready? Okay. How funky is your chicken? How funky is your chicken? How loose is your goose? Our goose is totally loose. So come on, all you hot fans. So come on, all you hot fans. And shake your caboose. And shake your caboose. The basketball coach is uh, pretty amusing, though. He he folds a guy's warm-up jacket after he comes into a game, and, and the basketball scene with Sasha Jensen actually reminds me of Teen Wolf with uh, Michael J. Fox from 1985. And then we get another young actor in an early cameo as you get to see Ben Affleck as one of the basketball players for the other team who gets the ball taken away from him by the vampire Jensen. Also, Seth Green does have a tiny role, no pun intended, because he's short. <laughs> As a vampire that gets kicked by Buffy, Green would go on to be the main character in the TV show of Buffy. Okay, people, they're psyching you out. Let's not be so defensive out there, okay? Now, what do we say on the court? Repeat after me. I am a person. I have a right to the ball. Good. All right, now, here's our key play. We're going to give we the answers of the O's. Anybody goes. Oh, Oh, right, okay. Therefore, if we all work together, together it'll all work out. Are you with me? Now get out there! All right, score some uh, points. Hey, wait, you missed practice again today. I think you better sit down and think about how that made me feel. I must say, I think Luke Perry is kind of useless in the role. I, I pretty much think he was cast because of all his 90210 teen girl cachet, but he really doesn't offer much in this film. The other thing I noticed is Christy Swanson's parents are never home. <laughs> the parents seem more interesting than Perry's character, to be honest, and I'm surprised they didn't do more with them. All right, so we get, we uh, before the dance, there's a song called Silent City by Matthew Sweet playing, and it just sucks. I mean, it's weird. This soundtrack is really hit or miss. There's some amazing songs that we'll talk about later, and then there's some real shit, and this being one of them. So we get to dance time, and it's packed with lots of music. You get Inner Mind by Eon, 
which plays, or E-O-N, which plays at a dance, and it's pretty generic techno. And then you get Toad the Wet Sprocket playing Little Heaven. That plays at a dance, and, and they're an underrated band, so I'm actually, I enjoyed this song. Then the best song of the soundtrack plays, and it's Ozzy playing Party with the Animals. This is a perfect song when the vampires crash the dance, and this was originally recorded during the No More Tears sessions in 1990 or 1991 and released as a B-side to the song version of No More Tears. And I always wondered why this didn't make the cut for the album because I thought the song just smoked, It's especially the riffs coming from Zach Wilde. And it's possible it sounded too much like the song Desire. In any case, I'm glad they added the song on the re-release of No More Tears, and of course it's on this soundtrack. Then the song, next song, and this is an interesting dance. So you have techno, and then you have actually, actually super heavy metal. Because after Party with the Animals, you get Rob Halford, which doing his first solo song called Light Comes Out of Black. And both songs play pretty extensively during the dance scene, which is pretty cool, but it matches the dark vampire vibe. At the time of the film, I was getting into Pantera and their amazing album, Vulgar Display of Power, and Judas Priest had toured with Pantera during their Painkiller tour in 1991. There's a great article from Revolver Magazine in which Halford describes working with Pantera on the song. So he says, uh, I, was away from, I was away from Priest, Sony were working on the soundtrack, and they wanted Sony artists and, and asked me to write a song. And I hadn't written as a solo writer for years and years and years, but it's, it's one of those things where you don't know what you can do until you put your nose to the grindstone. So I wrote, Light Comes Out of Black, and I was stuck. And I got Dime's number, he's talking about Dimebag Daryl from Pantera, and so I called him up and said, here's the deal, and he goes, let's do it, just get in a plane and come down to Dallas, and so that's what I did, and the next day I went to the studio, laid the track down, in a very short space of time, uh, Phil, Phil Anselmo wandered by, and he said, oh, how's it going, Metal God? And I, so I told him, and he said, you got a spot for me? And I said, here's the mic. So Phil joins me on the back end of the song, and it turned out really, really good. It's amazing to think that that's a pan. That's really a Pantera song. It's it's Pantera with me on lead vocals and Phil obviously doing the outro sections. But it's a Pantera song, really. Then we get the most famous scene in the movie, and that's Paul Rubin's death scene, which was all improvised, but it's hilarious. I'll get you, Buffy, and your little dog too. I guess nobody sees in you. You don't really think you can stand up to him, do you? Admit it, Buffy. Aren't there times when you just feel less than fresh? You're pathetic. You're not even fit to die for him. We're immortal, Buffy. You can do anything. Oh, yeah? Clap. Ah! 
Another wasted actor in this film is Rutger Hauer. He's just wasted in this role, and I I do appreciate his non-drawn-out death scene, but really, I mean, I just don't get why they get some of these great actors and then just kind of flop it. So it makes me think that the producers had a, had a good script from Joss Whedon, and then they just tried to fit it into a PG-13 rating, which doesn't work. Susanna Hoffs from the Bengals, uh, her song plays during the closing credit, and it was written by Danny Elfman and performed by Oingo Boingo. News, uh, there's a there's a news reporter scene that's pretty funny, and you remember Liz Smith? So, <laughs> she's doing that, and Pee Wee's death scene keeps playing, and that's the end. So, Metalheads will definitely enjoy the soundtrack for a couple songs, uh, but not everything, and I'm pretty sure my sister skipped the two songs that I enjoyed. Uh, it would have been interesting to see if Joss Whedon's original script was used instead of being tampered with, and, and I don't know if the film would have done better or not. Also, if the film had tanked with his original script, that could have removed the possibility of creating a TV series. So he actually used that failure to say, hey, look, this is what it should have been. Let's make a TV series out of it, and it worked for him. All right, some fun facts. Many of Joss Whedon's jokes were removed, which makes you, which makes you wonder who wrote the jokes that made it in. Donald Sutherland's character Merrick was originally supposed to commit suicide instead of killed by Lothos. Also, Buffy was supposed to just burn the gym down with all the vampires in it instead of having to kill them one by one. Whedon did not enjoy working with Donald Sutherland, as Sutherland would rewrite Whedon's script in the middle of the shooting for his character Merrick. Alyssa Milano was originally set to play Buffy. David Bowie, Mick Jagger, and Carrie Elways were going to make cameos as vampires, but likely drew, dropped out due to budget issues. So the role of Amelyn was originally written to be a female character and was set to be played by Joan Chen. When she pulled out of the role, it was rewritten as a male character, which is why you get Paul Rubens. All right, so is this movie that great? That's subjective. Is it entertaining? I definitely think it's entertaining, and if you're into early 90s metal, I think you'll appreciate the soundtrack or some of the songs as well. In any case, I'm happy to have my other brother Brian back on for this episode. Let's get into that and talk about the movie version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right, it's been a long time, way too long, but my other brother Brian's back. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah, Yeah. and it's for an all-time classic movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know it is a classic. I I realize I realize it's over twenty five years old now, which makes me feel really old. <laughs> well, I know it came out in ninety two. Ninety two, yeah. So 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 that, this, we'll just get right into it. So, did you see this in the theater? No. Well, I was trying to remember, and I'm pretty sure I did not see it in the theater. I think I rented it on video a couple of years after, maybe or a year. I don't know. It was definitely on video. I think I don't I don't remember seeing it in the theater. And it I remember previews for it. And I'm like, oh, that looks kind of stupid and fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, still kind of my reaction to the movie now. But <laughs> yeah. Well, so when's the um, yeah. last time you you when's the last time you saw it? Well, actually, I just watched it this week. So because oh, I cool. want to refresh myself um, on it, but. It's it's a movie I've I've seen a few times. I've revisited it over the years. Um, I watched it, you know. I I think, like I said, I watched it around the time it came out, and then God, at some point, probably like early two thousands, I watched it again after having seen the TV show some more, and I wanted to. I was kind of curious to go back to it to see what I thought about, you know, that the kind of the original version of Buffy on the screen. Right. Yeah, and so then I I don't know. It's it's uh 
and it's kind of a guilty pleasure movie. It's also just kind of a campy fun movie. That's I don't know. It's not. I wouldn't call it like a like classic classic, but it's a it's a fun movie that I I revisit every now and then. Yeah, and that's I think with the fun part of of now me getting into all the movies I own, they don't necessarily have to all be The Godfather. They can just be like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can be campy popcorn movies, you know. It's kind of too hard if every movie that you like is like The Godfather, or you know, or the only movies that you want to revisit are are you know super critically acclaimed, crit- critically acclaimed, or like classics, and then you I don't know, you gotta have you gotta have room for the. The fun movies that are that you don't think about too much after you leave them, but you can come back to them every now and then. And they're like, yeah, this is good. I like it. Exactly. And so that's why it's it's been fun. So as we're recording this, so Airheads, I just released that. And then coming up this week is going to be Anatomy of a Murder. So we can go both sides on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one, too. Although, I, yeah, I haven't I've seen it once and I really liked it. And the soundtrack is great. Duke Ellington. Yeah, Duke yeah. Ellington. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you brought it up. So, soundtrack wise, do you remember the soundtrack to to Buffy? Uh, no, I remember there was like a version of uh, I Fought the Law, and I, you know, like I said, I I just saw it again. So, um, some of the music, it sounded familiar, but it, it didn't like. I don't remember the soundtrack standing out at the time, and like, um, I didn't pay too much attention attention to it this time around. Okay. But. That's funny because that was the first thing I heard. I, I saw the I listened to the soundtrack before the the movie because my sister had it on uh, the cassette, and so I was way into it because it had like Ozzy Osbourne and, and oh, Pantera. That's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, the lead character, um, Christy Swanson. Do you re- mm-hmm. do you remember if you saw her before? Uh, um, I know she was in. I think she was in Ferris Bueller or something. Like had Absolutely. a somewhere, like a small role. I don't remember where though. Um, she and was then, the uh, when uh, she gave the little story to um, the boring teacher uh, <laughs> uh, when oh, yeah. passed out that's at Thirty One Flavors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's right. And then she was—I don't know if this was before or after Buffy, but um, wasn't she in? Was it Boys in the Hood or something where she was like a? Oh, she uh, might have been. She was like a track. It had Tyra Banks in it, and she and Tyra Banks were on the track team at the high school, I think. I can't. I don't know if it was Boys in the Hood. It was something. Darn it! I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I have well, to no, look at her filmography. She, she was in a movie with Charlie Sheen that was pretty mm-hmm. bad, but it's still fun, fun to watch. I think they're on the run from the police, and it's like uh, something like I want to say it's like Maximum Velocity or something like that. Or oh yeah, I, I vaguely remember that movie. Yeah. yeah. And then before that, actually, uh, she was in Pretty in Pink. She ended up being Ducky's fail-safe girl <laughs> after, <laughs> after Molly Ringwald right. kind of left him for uh, Andrew McCarthy. Well, she's not bad, right? <laughs> no, actually, I would have I gone for Christine. Yeah. For her, so there you go. I think oh, had- she was in Mannequin on the Move. Oh, I'm the not sequel. sure if I saw the sequel. I must have seen it somewhere on cable. Yeah. That's funny. She played Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huh. Interesting. And then of, of course, Luke Perry was was best known for 902. Yeah, he would. Yeah. So they had to work the I read that he, they had to work the this movie around his 90210 schedule. But that was I mean, 90210. I don't know if it had really maybe he had. I don't know if he had reached the height of his popularity yet. At least Luke Perry. I'm not sure. It was kind of, I'm kind of a little fuzzy on the dates, you know, as far as like I didn't. I only watched a little bit of Nine Two One Zero because my sister was definitely into that, so it was on house a lot. But I didn't. I didn't like closely follow it. Um, But I I, I knew about New Luke Perry and. 
Yeah, I would say, yeah, I think that would be the main reason he was in this, because I think yeah. it started in 90, and this okay. would have been, yeah. Okay, so he would have been yeah, super popular. From and that. I don't know if you just heard, but he, as of we're recording this today, he he just had a stroke. Which oh, no. Was, yeah, and um, he's on that, that new uh, hit show, Riverdale, about kind of like the updated version of like Archie Comics. Oh, yeah, that's... So, yeah, so I, I hope he's okay. Yeah, yeah me too. He's young, so... Yeah, although he's older than us, right? That's true. <laughs> older than us. But Actually, that was the thing about him in 90210, right? It was like he was kind of like, he was almost 30 or something like that, where the other cast members were, you know, maybe in their 20s, early 20s or something like that. That's a good point. He was, he was, he was, they were, there were some comments about like, oh, he's too old or something, but he was really popular. I mean, my sister, I think my sister saw him. There was like, um, Macy's used to do... Um, I don't know if they still do it. They used to do like a spring fashion show. And one year they, the theme was like around 90210 or they had Luke Perry and one of the other cast members there. So she, like she went to that with my mom. <laughs> well, it's funny. So my, big my, nephew, my nephew Dylan is named after Dylan. So it, it definitely was a, 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 <laughs> a sister favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then, so also, I, I was shocked they got Don, Donald Sutherland to be in this movie. Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, Joss Whedon apparently left the set of this movie because of Donald Sutherland. Right. Just completely angered him the whole way because he, yeah. he kind of rewrote or ad-libbed a lot of his lines. And Joss Whedon just got upset and was like, no, I'm not going to help out anymore. You're on your own. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he th- he thinks he's a good actor, but he's just like, he's like, this guy's a total dick. I don't want to work with him. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. He just felt like the, the his delivery ended up sounding kind of gibberish compared to with the lines that Joss wrote. But then it was probably like, you know, Don, Donald Southern felt the same way about what was written there, so he decided right. to rewrite it to something that made sense to him. So I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. Was, I mean, I've yeah. heard that I've heard that Donald Southern's kind of a jerk, but you know, I don't know. It's stories, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, Joss Whedon's a new, you know, screen screenwriter. And... Yeah, back then he didn't have any he, he didn't have any clout. So was, right, and the yeah. director, I don't think the director. Well, she hadn't directed anything up until that point. I don't think she directed anything after this either. So that was yeah. Kind of she basically was an executive producer or something. I mean, they're they kind of own the rights to Buffy and the TV show or something like that. So they had some. I don't think they had any input, but they had some like production credit or something like that. Right. So you saw this on video and you were just like, okay, there, this is okay, but there's no way they're going to make a TV show out of this. And so when, <laughs> when the TV yeah. show like, came out, yes, yeah. the TV show came out, I'm like, what? That, you know, that movie was pretty good. And I can't believe they're making a TV show out of this. Like, there's right. no way. And I didn't get into the TV show until I think, like, I think it was the end of season three or beginning of season four or something oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. Okay. It was, it was well after it had already become kind of like a cult favorite among followers. Wow. I had a few friends who were really into it. And they're like, you got to watch Buffy. You'll like it. I'm like, Are you? well, all right, I'll give it a try. But <laughs> I'm not going to promise anything. The movie was fun, but I'm not, you know, it wasn't yeah. that. And, you know, as it turned out, the TV show was totally different. And it, and it represents what uh, Joss Re- Whedon really wanted from right. the movie. And he, you know, he, he said about the movie that it was like, he had changed a lot. And I was, I think that was another reason why he left because they made it kind of a little bit more jokey and lighthearted than he wanted it to be. He wanted it to have a little bit more uh, weight to it. Um, and I think eventually um, there was a comic made of like his original version of the script. So right. it was, uh, I didn't, I haven't read it, but apparently um, 
you know, the Donald Sutherland character. I don't know. Are we giving spoilers in this review? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, at this point. Okay, yeah, so, this he, is, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Donald Sutherland plays her, you know, the the watcher guy who like, is trains the, the vampire slayer. And um, in the comic, I guess, or in the movie, he gets killed by the, the main vampire. But in, in the comic, he decides to commit suicide rather than because the, the vampire is going to turn him into a vampire and right. and force him to reveal who the slayer was. At that time, like the the, vamp, the head vampire played by uh, Rucker Howard didn't know it was it was Buffy. And he's trying to basically he's trying to hunt down you know Buffy did to kill her um so yeah so that was one thing he had you know one of the main characters commit suicide and then um the climax of the movie um instead of fighting a bunch of vampires fighting off the vampires Buffy ends up burning down the gym with all the vampires in it (laughs) which would have been an interesting ending would have been interesting would have been a little bit like Carrie or something like that yeah more of a I think more of a horror than it than it was i mean it's pretty pretty silly overall um yeah it's campy yeah for sure and it's i mean one of my favorite things of of this movie is paul rubens actually absolutely (laughs) because he's just he's just got some good lines and really funny expressions and he's kind of like this i don't know he kind of looks like a reject from the cure or something like yeah. that <laughs> that's a perfect way to put it yes uh, he's, i don't know he's just he's he kind of hams it up his death scene is just is ridiculous and apparently was ad-libbed too but it was i don't know it was it's pretty funny it's the most memorable scene of the movie i think <laughs> i think so I, I yeah i think when i thought about going back to watch this movie i was i was looking forward to that part because it, it just kind of it's just so ridiculous and over the top well, yeah, and I mean, Rucker Howard is almost kind of wasted in this film. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. I, I, I think um, in previous viewings I had liked him more, but or I thought I did or something like that because I, I mean I really liked him in like what's it called Blade Runner. He yeah, awesome yeah, with, with the villain and that. But yeah, he was pretty much wasted. And <laughs> watching it again, it was kind of he wasn't in it very much. Um, he's more of like a looming figure rather than like a direct threat most of the movie and. It's kind of I don't know yeah his they they kind of wasted his <laughs> his his appearance I think yeah and then the other famous person who wasn't famous at the time but she was she probably arguably went on to be the most famous of all of them is is uh, Hillary Swank yeah yeah it was I guess that was her first movie too and she yeah. she played Buffy's best friend although it's kind of like a frenemy in some ways because they were all yeah. you know, like the the popular girls and she was you know they kind of were one-upping each other as well as friends so and there's actually uh david arquette kind of has a cameo yeah he's, cameo, he's, got, he's, he's got a decent sized role um another cameo is ben affleck very briefly yes playing uh so it's funny the one of the one of the kids from the school gets turned into a vampire and uh his name's sasha nelson or something like that and he's Who's in Days confused yeah he's in Days and confused and he kind of he's kind of a similar character almost because <laughs> yeah. he's a jock he's a jock in both movies um and then he uh he's on the basketball court and he comes up against ben affleck who's also right. in Days and confused <laughs> yeah that's fun. that's true so i don't know there's yeah there's a lot of good uh a lot of pretty good cast they weren't um not all of them were their best in this movie, but it was, I think it's, um, I don't know. I mean, Joss Whedon has the only writing credit, but apparently like they changed it so much that yeah. it's like, 
it wasn't really his movie in the end. So it's it's not surprising. I think I mean I think he was always really attached to the character and the idea of it, and that's why he wanted to go back and do the the TV show, which I'm glad he did because it's one of my favorite TV shows. Yeah, and you know the movie. It serves his purpose, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty much disavowed. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's definitely worth worth, yeah. worth watching. But don't expect anything as good as the TV show. Yeah, like if you're a fan of the show, then don't expect. Yeah, <laughs> it's only like loosely similar. I mean, similar. Buffy is it? You know, I mean, in the TV show, she started out as someone who was who was a cheerleader and was a popular girl, but she had come from another school where I think they they said that she had burned down the gym and she, you know, they, they basically viewed her as like a, you know, suspicious character and a big troublemaker. And, right. And so she had to kind of, you know, start over from there. And she was kind of navigating the, the social scene at her high school and trying to figure out whether she belonged with the popular kids or the, you know, kind of the rejects. So the character was odd, odd, like off the bat more complicated than what you see, you know, in this movie. But I still like it. I mean, Christy Swanson's really good. Luke Perry, like, I didn't like him on 90210 much. I didn't really like that show that much. But I thought he was, you know, I thought he did a good job in this movie. I don't know. I mean, Donald Sutherland's okay. Like, I think he, I think he was good for that role. But, I like, maybe, like, the writing was, he shouldn't have changed the writing or something. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been Let's interesting. Let's see what, what the actual lines or dialogue was supposed to be for him. But Right. Exactly. Exactly. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to TeePublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the absolute alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... 
My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science!